Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that teaches you how to advance into retirement rather than retreating. I'm your host and valedictorian, Eric Brotman, and today we have Sharon Spano on the show. Sharon helps high-level leaders transform how they think, adapt, and respond in complex business environments. She's a behavioral strategist with a PhD in human and organizational systems. She's the author of The Pursuit of Time and Money, Step into Radical Abundance and Discover the Secret to a Meaningful and Prosperous Life. She also hosts the podcast, The Other Side of Potential, and was kind enough to have me as a guest almost a year ago today. Uh, Sharon, welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate. Thank you so much, Eric. It's great to be with you today. A lot has happened in the last year since since we chatted on your show about uh, the K-shaped recovery and, and how we were going to uh, come out of a pandemic that... Uh, interestingly enough, we are still very much in, though it's it's changed a bit. How have you seen over the last year, year and a half, how have you seen your consulting practice change? And how have you seen, if at all, how have you seen C-level executives uh, adjusting to the environment we're in? Well, as I'm sure you're well aware, it's all over the board. I mean, we've seen everything from people who pivoted in the first few months and just kind of reinvented the way they were doing business to I still have clients, you know, kind of stuck and hoping this will end. And and really, I think there's a lot of people still in denial that we've moved into, you know, a virtual workforce and that the world has changed forever in terms of how we do business, as well as many other things, as you well know. I'm also seeing an increase in anxiety, uh, you know, worry, depression, things of that nature, not so much with my clients, but just in, in general, in the population around me, a lot of people having great concerns about not only their businesses, but their their relationships with the people that are closest to them, family and loved ones and friends. So much of that has changed as a result of COVID and the division that we're experiencing in the country on so many levels. It's it's quite an interesting, uh, what I like to say, evolutionary period in time. Well, I, I also hope it's a temporary period in time um, because the divisiveness in, uh, in the world uh, and in the country, in addition to some of the healthcare concerns, um, they do create a lot of anxiety and worry, and you know we certainly see um, we certainly see clients who, despite the fact that the economy and markets and so forth have been reasonably strong over the last uh, period of time and reasonably resilient through COVID, there's still a, a, a fair amount of anxiety, not just about health and about uh, relationships, but about finances and about the future. Are you seeing people less optimistic right now than than maybe ever before? Yes, I am, but I, I have to. I have to confess, Eric, that for the last, uh, really since May, I have been kind of somewhat sequestered up in the mountains of North Carolina, and and why that's uh, relevant to our conversation is that it's it's a golf course community, pretty much overflowing with uh, people who have retired or are in are on the verge of retirement. So it's been an interesting experience for me to watch and listen to the diversity of opinions about COVID and politics and, you know, whether or not to wear a mask and whatnot. But then the financial aspects, as you said, because, of course, these are all uh, pretty affluent business people. And, you know, they watch the market very closely. But, um, you know, as, as you and I have talked before, I look at everything through a developmental lens. And so based on, uh, you know, my 
experience and what what is perceived developmental stages, I'm seeing a level of scarcity with some, even though they're retired and have, are affluent, and then others who are who are not concerned at all. So I, I really feel we're kind of at a period where, you know, it's a very transitional time in, in our history, and um, people are kind of all over the board. But what you see is where they were, for instance, if if they were in scarcity, probably throughout most of their life and career, whether it be for good or bad reasons. And by that, I mean, you know, many are um, just highly responsible people who who take it to a, a level of scarcity. Uh, that's that's carrying forth into the way they're they're living their retirement. And you see it in real practical ways, like the way they access the amenities here or choose not to, uh, the way they uh, want to get their money's worth here versus going off the mountain into town for dinner, you know, th- those kinds of things. It's quite fascinating to me. I, I get the sense that while people are working and, you know, I've, I've been at this 30 years and while people are working and they're earning, particularly higher, high achievers, higher earners, um, it's a lot easier to have an abundance mentality when, you know, next week there'll be another deposit in your account as opposed to when you are retired. And, and of course, I, I put that in quotes because retirement means so many different things to different folks. But when you're not necessarily earning a regular paycheck, whether that's because you're consulting or whether it's because you're moonlighting, whether it's because you're, you're golfing every day and you're not, do, you know, you're not working anymore, um, I think scarcity mentality starts to come when you realize that the nest egg you've built is the nest egg you've got. And now you have to make it last as long as your oxygen does. And I, I think that's at any wealth level. I think that's a, a mind shift, don't you? I, I do, and and I and I think that's part of what I'm seeing. Is you'll hear comments like um, the cash flow. You know, it's all going out, but it's not coming in. But but it's not true true in in the most literal sense, in my opinion, because most of these people, of course, have done the retirement planning and they have again, you know, resources, however they're set up, I'm sure they have, you know, something coming in every month. But it's it's different from what they've experienced, to your point, as an achiever. And, and just to remind you, I know you and I've talked before about the 12 stages of development, the achiever stage and the expert stage are where uh, we like to, to think based on the latest research, it's around 68% of the American workforce lands in those two stages. And the achiever stage uh, really is no for their competitive spirit, which is where many business people and entrepreneurs live. You know, that's why they've been successful. Uh, But they also have a tendency to chase money and they're very goal oriented. And so when you don't have those goals, when you don't have, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the, the opportunity to engage in the chase for money, I think that's where the scarcity, you know, can set in even even at the higher stages of wealth to some degree, because the chase is different. And I think sometimes people just have trouble settling in uh, to what that can look like. And, and it's actually, I, I have to confess why my husband and I haven't retired, because we enjoy the work we do. And we, we enjoy the differences we're making, hopefully for other people. And we enjoy the the chase. Yeah, I, I'm I'm one of those folks who you described who very much loves the chase. I, I always have. I've always been interested in um, in growing an organization and in growing uh, academically and educationally and professionally and financially and very goal driven. I get the sense in this country, and I, and I, I certainly it's anecdotal only. So maybe you can you can um, shed some additional light on this, but. 
I get the sense in this country that people tend to identify who they are with what they do. And that um, if you ask someone, tell me about yourself, the first thing they're going to say is, um, I'm an accountant, I'm an architect, I'm a veterinarian. Um, when actually they've got 15 different roles from, you know, parent to spouse to child to friend to volunteer, et cetera, and so forth. But we identify so much of who we are with what we do that if you don't have that anymore, I, I think you can lose a sense of identity. Even if you still have some purpose, you, you lose some of the identity that you've spent 50 years building. I, I mean, am I barking up the right tree? Yeah, I think you absolutely are. And that's why I love the work that you're doing, where you're you're talking about really just reinventing what retirement can look like. Because again, when, when we look at the 12 stages of development, as people develop to the later stages, which is not a, a given, you have to be willing to commit to doing the work in order to reach those later stages. Um, it, it's very true that I think that's that's what we we know happens in midlife crisis or even when people retire because they don't have a purpose beyond that identity of work and it's just very important i think as you're moving towards whatever retirement means for you not only to look at it financially from my perspective but to also recognize that you can take all the gifts, talents, skills, whatever it is uh, that you've been about and apply it in other meaningful ways so that you you don't have that loss of identity. And and that's part of what drew my husband and I up here to this, this wonderful environment called Mountaineer. Uh, we'll be here six months out of the year, but everyone up here, um, they're, they're doing very meaningful things, whether it be in their own community, the community up here, they have, they have very specific things that they care about. And even though I see, you know, moments or waves of, of scarcity, because that's just part of human nature, uh, particularly in the times that we're living in, because we are in a state of collective trauma in, in this world right now. So that has a lot of implications. But I think when people advance into the later stages, and again, one is not better than the other. It's just a different way of viewing the world. Uh, for instance, when you move from the achiever stage into what we call the construct aware stage, that's like three stages later, and that is about service to humanity. And that's what drew me, for instance, to this mountain. When I first came up here, I thought it was all about golf and pickleball. Uh, but as I got to know people, I saw, no, there is a real commitment to make a change in the world, and particularly in North Carolina. And I really got caught up in, yeah, this is a community I want to be a part of, whether I retire or not. There are things that we can do together to make North Carolina uh, a better, safer, you know, more wonderful place uh, to live beyond, you know, what it is. Because we actually are living in the highest or the, I should say uh, it is the poorest county in the state of North Carolina, which is really interesting because you have this affluent community up on a mountain and then right below us, people are struggling to put food on the table for their children. So, uh, you know, I'm now on the grants committee up here because we raise funding for uh, the community. And I, I just feel like it's such a meaningful opportunity for me to make a difference in a way that maybe I haven't been able to do before. And I think that's, that's kind of an essence, you know, part of what you're saying, don't retire, graduate, take all that you're about and, and use it in ways that give you a meaningful life beyond the work and the identity that you've known before. Is that accurate? 
Yeah, I mean that, that's that's basically what we're what we're all about, which is making sure that you don't disappear, making sure that you continue to advance, but more importantly that you that you have a mission, that you have purpose, that you have a, a vision, and that you share your values and. Um, and that you continue to make a difference. I, I just don't think you can spend a third of your life or half of your adult life idle. And golf and pickleball sounds fun for a few days. But if that's all you had to get up in the morning for, I think people stop getting up in the morning. Um, well, so I agree. And I think now more than ever, um, you know, the world needs the wisdom of that generation of retirees, certainly our youth, uh, as brilliant and as independent as they are. And, and they have so many great attributes, you know, each generation, but um, they are looking for leadership, they are looking for mentoring. And um, I, I feel like that that's our responsibility. And I did a talk uh, on 9-11 around collective trauma. And one of the first questions I asked the people in the room was, how many of you think you're making the world a better place by watching the news seven plus hours a week? And no one rose that you know, raised their hand, of course, because it's a ridiculous notion. And my fear is that more and more retirees are sitting in front of that darn television too, too much. And then they're becoming, I'm seeing a lot of this becoming cynical, um, angry, you know, the, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, if you will, kind of thing. And my response to those kinds of comments is always, what are you doing as an individual to make the world a better place? Because complaining is not, not solving the issues. So I think it's just an interesting time. And the, the work that I'm trying to be about in this world is, is to help people at whatever stage or level or season in life that, that they're in to, to realize that they have something to contribute in. And, uh, you know, we all have to do our part to make this, this world uh, a better place. We can't just sit back and whine and complain and, and, and watch the news 24-7. I've been jotting some notes down while we're chatting because you've said a couple of things that have jumped off the page at me one is the term collective trauma which i i, I have not heard put that way to describe what we're going through uh you know from a pandemic standpoint um and, and the two other events that i remember in my adult life where i really felt collective trauma was happening in different ways one was 9 11 for sure uh, and, and the other was the, the, the Great Recession. When the financial crisis hit, there was an incredible collective uh, trauma around, are we going to be okay? And are we going to continue to feed our families? And these were folks of means who still had a newfound fear that th this whole thing could fall apart. Um, and so now I guess we're going through this again. What are the, what are the common themes to recovery from collective trauma? I know in 9-11, the first thing I had to do was physically turn off the television. Because I, I know I watched exactly. it for like five days before I finally said, I, I got to get on with my life. I, I'm, you know, this is not helping me anymore. And, um, you know, I, I try not to watch a lot of that because it, it is sensationalism and it is going to depress you and upset you. And it's done on purpose so that you can keep eyeballs, or you can sell advertising and so forth and so right. on. So what are the remedies of or positive outcomes of surviving a collective trauma event or time period? Well, I think the first thing is we have to recognize, and part of the message I gave the other day is, you know, because people's, I'm hearing, and, and I mean, literally, Eric, it's two to three times a week of someone's daughter or granddaughter or grandson who's, you know, having trouble in college and anxiety and depression and whatnot. It's, it's very concerning to me. And I would say that a lot of that is coming from 
um, you know, the, the constant level of negative information our youth are receiving, but also what they're hearing from their parents and grandparents. So to me, the first thing is always in any system, when we look at systems, systems are always trying to seek balance and equilibrium. That's what's happening right now in our world and why I say we're in an evolutionary period, because when you hear all the marginalized voices that are rising up, that is the system saying no more you know, we, we need to restore balance in our system. So we have to recognize that we are in an evolutionary period and that it does include collective trauma. And the difference is that in, you know, years and years ago, when I did this talk, for instance, I tried to look at how many events have we had that have been traumatizing, whether it be, you know, natural disasters or war or terrorism or mass shootings or whatever. Um, I could not count them there, there's so many that have occurred over the last 20 years that we are in a constant state of collective trauma now. Where you think back, if you look at uh, worldhistory.com, uh, the, the 10 most uh, dramatic events in world history up to 1980, they were they occurred far and few between. You know, it was World War One, it was World War Two. Uh, it wasn't a constant state of war. So the first thing is acknowledging that we are in a state of collective trauma and probably will be uh, maybe forever, unfortunately. So then as human beings, we have to protect our minds and our bodies and our spirit, uh, as well as our finances, which is where you come in. But it's, it's to, to your point of watching what we read, what we listen to, I would say the average American is not even aware that so much of what they're watching and, and listening to is celebrity news intended to make millions and millions of dollars for the network or the individual, you know, person uh, broadcasting. So uh, to me, I listen to 20 minutes a day. That's all I need to know what's going on. Um, I'm very careful what I read and I read and watch and, and I get my clients uh, to be very conscious as well of, you know, how they're sleeping, how they're eating, just the basics uh, to, to fortify themselves against what's coming at us. Because to your point, when you look at, you know, what happened in the past, we were not inundated with the constant news and negativity that we are today because of social media. Uh, you know, we're, it's, it's just overwhelming. So, um, to me, that that's the main thing. And then, of course, if you've crossed over into anxiety or depression or any of those things, it, you've got to seek the appropriate help. And trauma experts are are far more advanced in how to help people move through those stages of life. Um, you know, a, a regular psychologist may not always be as equipped, but I, I always send my clients to someone depending on the level of anxiety or trauma. And to be careful about... Um, because we are we are now a prescriptive nation, meaning you know a, a doctor will write you a prescription for whatever you ask for, and we're medicating um, instead of getting to the root of what is going on with the individual. We're treating, for instance, the anxiety, but not the source of the anxiety, and that to me is very very important. Collective trauma is really becoming a mainstream conversation now that I think we need to be paying a lot of attention to. Two weeks ago on on our show, we had uh, we had a a coach on who um, who talked about mental health and the the confluence of mental health and financial wellness. And so it's interesting that now you know two shows in a row we're having these conversations about some of the some of the trauma and the anxiety and the depression and it's very very tough. And and I, 
the, the next thing I wrote down, because I, I told you I was making a couple of notes while we were chatting, and collective trauma jumped off the page at me. But the other thing you said, um, I, before you even mentioned the fact that our younger generations right now are looking for leadership, I had written down leadership void. Um, mm-hmm. it, is in, it is so imperative that people step up and lead in positive ways, and yet finding examples of that are exceedingly difficult, and particularly when you start talking elected officials, and I definitely don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but my mm-hmm. goodness, it, you know, it, it seems like disparaging others is, is how you're climbing on top of that heap rather than, than standing for something, meaning something. What do we do with this leadership void? I mean, we certainly have programs to train people to lead, and some people are just born leaders, but where does their voice get drowned out by what really is just noise? Well, it's such an interesting time because, um, well, before I go there, I want to say one thing uh, when I, uh, more about the collective trauma aspect because, you know, we the research is already starting, but we don't really and probably won't see for at least 20 years the impact of just the pandemic alone on our younger children you know it's going to be quite interesting the the masks and the fear and you know your parent gets covid and you're afraid they're going to die so we have i think we have to just really pay attention to where our children are and what they're watching and listening to to just reiterate that one more time but then with respect to leadership i have great hope for leadership in business i have zero hope for leadership in washington because I think we won't see a change there for, for many generations. But but for for business, this amazing thing is happening that I'm sure you're aware of, Eric, where you know we've got all these these younger individuals who have started up these platforms and they kind of throw the spaghetti up against the wall and they get the angel investors and if it works out great and if it doesn't they shut it down or if it or if they can they sell it and they move on to the next one. But but many of them, most of them have not come up through the ranks of corporate America the way we've seen in generations past, and therefore they're not trained or equipped to be uh, executives or CEOs. So I hear two things happening, which I, you know, one one end concerns me, the other end is exciting, is the youth. Uh, my niece has had more jobs than I care to think of, for instance, and, and when she tells me what's happening from a leadership perspective and how she's just thrown into a pool to do a job she doesn't even fully understand with no, no leadership at all um it it breaks my heart to think that she's having to go through this but the good side is there are many of these leaders coming together and they're meeting and creating their own summits their own universities that's why masterminds are now bigger than ever and and i love the fact that they're coming together and they're learning from one another the really smart ones who are doing well and i interviewed you know many many of them on my show uh the first two years i was running and i, I just love the way they think i love that they're more value-based and that they hold each other accountable so it's a different kind of leadership development it's it's sort of a hands-on you know you're you're in the trenches we got to figure this out and let me talk to another guy who's in the same boat who's who's also building a you know multi-million dollar platform and and i love that that's happening and i think that the business is going to be the answer to many of our 
social and economic problems because they are innovative and they're doing what needs to be done. To, you know, they're, they're the ones that pivoted right as, as soon as, as COVID hit, where you see some of the other wheels turning far slower. I mean, my goodness, when we have a government that sends out, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands, maybe not that many, but certainly thousands of relief checks to dead people, I would say we have a serious problem in Washington because they're antiquated in terms of how they do business and their their technology compared to business. So on, on, on that note, I, I have great hope for leadership in this country on a business level. I just wish it would translate into our political systems and I don't I don't see that happening. No, sadly, I, I don't either. And some of those folks who, uh, who the dead people who received checks also voted for those folks. So I, I guess there's a, a catch-22. If you get the vote, you get the check, right? I'm kidding, yeah, yeah, people. Come on, I'm only kidding. All right, so let's talk about your book a little bit because um, one of the things that, that I love about this, and it, it, it jumped out at me um, as soon as I saw the title of your book, it's not just about a prosperity, it's about meaning. And, and so talk a little bit about who the book is for and who should pick this up and, and, and start diving in right away. Well, I really, I, I know, you, you know, a, a publicist never wants you to say this. I, I really wrote it for anyone and it's taking very complex language around uh, the experience of time and money from a developmental perspective and putting it into layman's terms. But obviously I, I, we anticipated and marketed more to the business community. And I was very interested because I was seeing it so often in my clients that different individuals, no matter what their education, no matter how successful they were, had a different experience of both time and money. And, and I knew that time and money uh, were, you know, they're the two most important resources we have. I mean, every day you're making business and life decisions on how much time or money you have. It, it's, it's our number one conversation. So one, I wanted to show the correlation between time and money, and I wanted to look at it through that developmental lens. And so just as an example, um, you know, we when we think of development, you think of obviously birth, you know, a, a, a baby. Obviously, they they're not interested in time and money. But as you develop into the later stages, as I've, I've referenced earlier, your experience of time and money changes. And so we know, for instance, you know, the adolescent, you know, they, they are impulsive, they use money impulsively, and they're more, more focused on their immediate needs. You know, that's your teenager that comes in at two in the morning when he had a 10 o'clock curfew and he spent his whole allowance on, you know, iTunes or whatever. Um, but then we see because in development, everything transcends and includes. So nothing is left behind, whether it's good or, 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 or bad. Um, a baby doesn't, for instance, forget to crawl when they learn to walk. They just crawl less often. So it's this it's the same uh, around money. I meet and often am quite stunned by 57 or 60 year old men who have all the toys, you know, in the world, but then get behind on their mortgage. So there's a level of irresponsibility that they haven't uh, conquered yet because they haven't developed to a more sophisticated or responsible way of being in the world. And I'm sure you see that in your work all the time is people who are totally surprised now that they're 60 years old and you know they haven't prepared for retirement in some way, shape or form. So I was interested in helping people understand that you don't have to stay where you are. 
that if you have healthy perspectives on time and money, good for you, keep going. Um, but if you if you don't and you're and you have patterns where you're constantly finding yourselves in precarious situations, that to me is a developmental issue. And we can you know, that's part of what my coaching is. I help people move to other developmental levels where they can experience a meaningful, prosperous life. And a big part of that is stepping into stewardship. So part of the book is identifying what is stewardship and, and how do you, you know, master that if there is such a thing so that you can live a life because prosperity is not only about money, as I know, you know, Eric, you know, it's it's about wellness and health and, and is my life, uh, you know, all that I want it to be? And if not, what can I do to, to, to make the necessary changes to get there? When you when you talk about time and you talk about money, um, I'm picturing that seesaw, sort of that balance that, that gets talked about so much. It's like the work-life balance. Well, the idea is if one goes up, the other goes down and, and it's a, they're competing priorities in some way. Um, in the nonprofit world, the conversation's often around time, talent, and treasury. Uh, mm-hmm. And the idea that when you're young, you have an enormous amount of time, but often no treasury, and only budding talent. You're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, what have you. You still might have some time, although you're getting less and less of it. But your talent is growing, and your treasury is growing. And then you get to a certain point in your life, potentially, where your talent has, if not peaked, it's certainly hit its, its um, it, it critical mass, you may not feel the abundance of time anymore. So time becomes of the essence in a very different way, but you're at your all-time high in terms of treasury, and you can start to use those resources to make a difference in your favorite nonprofit or community or, or the world we're in. So um, I, I love the idea that, that time and money they are important resources, no question, but they're also things that are, they're both finite, they're both important, um, but there's that talent component that I, I think is, is also very interesting because there's lots of ways to make a difference. Sometimes you can make a difference by writing a check. Sometimes you can make a difference by spending time with someone and just listening to them. And sometimes you can make a difference because of your expertise. So I, I, I love what you've done. I hope people will pick up your book. We are uh, at the point in our show where I need an extra credit assignment. And I, I know as a, a, a PhD, you are, are prepared to, to give us lots of homework. We don't want any homework, just an extra credit assignment. Can you, can you do that for us? Well, actually, I, I can. Um, and I'm just quickly going to say that I had someone come up to me the other day and, and say how angry he was. And he was having trouble handling his anger. And my remark was, turn off the television. Because I know he's one that watches it a lot. And he gets very upset by what he's hearing and seeing. So I would challenge your listeners uh, to go going back to what I said earlier, just try it. Try watching or listening, whatever your your mode of, you know, my husband accesses stuff through, you know, he reads the Wall Street Journal and, and things like that on the internet. Um, I have a different approach, but I, I say try, try turning off the noise in whatever way that you're accessing that noise and see if you can see a difference in your own mental health and your own way of being in the world uh, with just 15 to 20 minutes a, minutes a day of information. And I, I, I promise you that if anything major happens, if the sun falls out of the sky, you will hear about it. You're not going to miss anything. And you're certainly not going to change the world by listening and watching more. But you certainly can change the world 
by listening and watching less and putting your energy into more positive activities that will change even one person's life. And when we change one person's life, we have we never know the rippling effect it will have on, on the, the rest of the world and the people that they interface with. Wow, I, I, I've been um, hosting this show now, we're in our fourth season, and I don't want to disparage all the other guests we've had, but that's the best extra credit assignment I've ever heard. So you, you <laughs> well, won the, you. the extra credit assignment derby. I love that. Um, and I would encourage uh, all of our listeners to, to, to take heed in that. I think there's a lot of wisdom in what sounds like a simple assignment, but may not be as simple uh, after all, if you're used to digesting a lot of that noise and a lot of that information all the time. So uh, where can folks learn more about you, Sharon? It's pretty easy. Of course, I'm all over social media. Uh, website is SharonSpano.com. And I've also got a new Facebook group we're starting called The Alchemy of Humans. So I would invite any of your listeners, uh, you know, to apply to join that because I'll be doing a lot of this type of work um, you know, via live Facebook opportunities and whatnot. And we're taking a deep dive into human transformation. And my goal is to help people not just survive through these collective trauma uh, moments in history, but to thrive uh, because I believe, again, we can all we can all make a difference and turn this world around. We've got to do something beyond uh, where we are. Uh, I'm in full agreement. I can't thank you enough for spending time with us today. It was great to talk to you. I can't believe it's been a year since I was on your show. Let's not wait a year to, to connect again. Uh, but thanks for being on Don't Retire, Graduate. Thanks so much, Eric. It's great to connect with you again. And we'd like to thank all of you for listening to our show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Don't Retire, Graduate is a book available in print, Kindle, and audio formats, and a workbook with all the exercises you need to build your own financial freedom plan. For more information, go to BrotmanMedia.com or buy your copy and leave us a review on Amazon. Please also check out our online financial literacy education courses at BFGUniversity.com. We'll be back next week with another installment of Office Hours and in two weeks with another engaging guest. For now, this is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, Don't Retire, Graduate. From this day forward, let us begin changing the way we view retirement. Today, I implore you, don't retire, graduate. Visit our website at BrotmanMedia.com to subscribe. And please like us and post comments on social media. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present if you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.